an artist calling herself MIA, or Missing in Acton, real name Maya Arulpragasm, would arrive at XL in 2003 and say to me, I heard you were looking for me. Which may have been true, though I wasn't aware of it. She was initially managed by the twitchy but charismatic Jonathan Dickens, who, having recently been let go from the Warner's A&R department, had started his own label, Showbiz, and pressed and released the first MIA song, Galang. He understood Maya's potential. There were loud echoes of Naina Cherry in her updated, global, hip-hop-influenced vision. Maya said of Cherry, We were grateful that there was this person in England who was stylistically aspirational. The way she looked, how she wore her hair, she represented a conscious ethos in pop. The non-musicality and rebellious energy of MIA was compelling and the way she combined cultural influences and approached everything from a visual perspective was deeply ahead of its time, while also being familiar to me. She reminded me not just of Naina Cherry, but of Malcolm McLaren. Maya and I had common ground and we had both been in awe of the revolutionary energy of Public Enemy. She would end up in the crosshairs herself. Her approach owed something to punk, perhaps best summed up as, if it ain't broke, break it. She saw XL as a platform on which to communicate with the world. I knew a free thinker when I met one, and working with her would help me to reprogram my own patterns. Maya was a refugee from Sri Lanka who had grown up on Mitcham's notoriously rough and racist Phipps Bridge estate, and through self-motivation and willpower had got herself into central St Martins. On completing her fine art degree, she met Justine Frischman of Elastica, who she subsequently toured with and designed artwork for. Maya could not afford an iPod when they first came out, but her friend Justine could, and seeing its revolutionary potential, Maya embraced the genreless nature of the MP3. It was the format she had in mind when she began to make music. The arrival of MIA coincided with blogs, chat rooms and illegal downloading sites. The digitisation of the music industry. Maya spoke like an art school student rather than someone from a council estate. She was in reality both, and partly because of this, in the UK, her authenticity was under question from day one, and there were many who didn't believe in her or wish her to succeed. I had no doubts about Maya. I believed in the whole idea of MIA, and it struck me that if the UK was not ready for her, perhaps we could set our sights on a different horizon. I decided to visit some of the same US characters and institutions I'd explored on the Prodigy's behalf a decade ago. The person who seemed to understand what Maya was doing, and perhaps its connection to the new digital landscape, was Interscope boss Jimmy Iovine. In his office in LA, I played him a CD with five tracks on it. There were other US connections in place already. Maya was collaborating with Wes Pence, aka Diplo, an up-and-coming DJ out of Philadelphia's Holotronics crew with a mischievous and direct approach, and a writer for Fader magazine based in New York called Knox Robinson, who was brimming with ideas. The first fruits of this collaboration came in the shape of the Piracy Funds Terrorism mixtape, where Maya and Diplo were able to throw every influence and reference into the mix with abandon. Maya had started to record her album proper at this time in a slightly more traditional way, and listening to a first draft of the mixtape it struck me that the mashup approach should be applied not just to the tape, but more directly to the actual album. Maya had a vision. I thought everyone's going to listen to everything at once. 
without limitations based on genre or an album or even a concept of an artist. My background helped my refugee thinking, not being rooted, means you're more amenable to change. I wasn't precious about protecting a box, a category, because there wasn't one. Between 2002 and 2004, people were learning how to use a computer. It was the first time anyone had a computer in their house, not just academic or rich people. The web became accessible. It was a once in a lifetime moment. Chat rooms weren't sexy looking, they looked basic and boring, but you could chuck anything at it. And that's how I saw my music. I wasn't deliberately provoking or dissecting and analyzing, but I couldn't sing. So I just threw so much stuff at my music that it was perfect for this thing called the internet. Her debut for XL, A Ruler, would turn out to be a successfully executed attempt to mix a lot of things together that shouldn't have worked, but absolutely did. That it was a glimpse of the future was evidenced by how few initially understood it, particularly in the UK.